Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. It's The following program is sponsored by Reaching Hearts Ministries. Welcome back to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message today is entitled Living Right at the Time of the End. We'll bring this to you in two parts due to our time constraints. We hope that you'll join us again tomorrow as we conclude this broadcast. Remember, you can always go online and listen to the entire message. In fact, any of these messages you hear are available under the broadcast schedule on the main page of reachingyourheart.com. Don't forget our phone number. It's 877-788-5371. 877-788-5371. Here's Pastor Michael Oxentenko. The modern American movement of survivalism got its start during the Great Depression. When Americans felt the pinch that came from a collapsed economy, the Dust Bowl, and eventually World War II. How many of you lived during the Great Depression? Raise your hand. All right, just a few did here. I mean, agricultural failed. People pinched pennies through those awful years. Many Americans don't even remember them because guess what? Many Americans weren't alive during the Great Depression. Shortly after Hitler arose and the world seemed to almost fall apart and then it got miraculously fixed after World War II until the Cold War set in as the new crisis on the horizon. How many of you remember the Cold War? Okay, more of you do, some of you don't. Many Americans today don't even know what the Cold War was because they were too young to remember it. I mean, it's amazing. I remember as a small child watching a man walk on the moon right there on television, seeing the first calculator, the first laptop computer, but we have a generation today that thinks we always had those things. The Cold War was kind of simple. For those of us here who don't know what it's about, the Soviet Union, the USSR, which no longer exists, was the great superpower opposing the United States and NATO and Western allied countries in Europe. And there was enough atomic bombs on each side pointed at the other to blow up the world hundreds of times. They called it mutually assured destruction. And that's what kept communism there and Western capitalism here and everybody safe in between. Now, I don't know about you, I wasn't very comforted by this notion of mutually assured destruction. During the Cold War, the civil defense leaders of our country encouraged Americans to build their own bomb shelters. Do you remember that? The bomb shelter movement, go out, build your bomb shelter. I guess they felt that people who climbed out of their little bunkers would be able to survive in a radioactive world. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, for a long time, in this milieu, has encouraged its members to store a year's worth of food for themselves and their families in preparation for such end-time disasters. Am I right on that? That's two years now, not one year. Many survivalists today are called preppers. Have you heard the term prepper? Preppers. They store food or they stockpile weapons or they make personal plans to be totally self-sufficient for the coming economic and political apocalypse. 
The Sandy Hook massacre alerted Americans to the culture of fear that took the lives of so many children. The mother of the murderer in the Sandy Hook massacre was a prepper. A teacher as a single mother stockpiled weapons for the end and her deranged son used them on her and so many others. Survivalists and preppers have one thing in common. They are afraid of the future and they're trusting in themselves to make it through the end. In our church, there are certain congregations that teach their people how to prep up for the time of the end, how to eat stuff in the wild and this kind of thing. You know what? I wish they'd spend the same amount of time reaching out to save people. I wish they'd spend the same amount of time focusing on people who have never heard the word of God. I wish that they would take that energy and pour it as love into the lives of the lost and have an evangelistic vision to feed the homeless in Baltimore, to reach out to those who will never hear the truth unless the truth comes to them in human clothes, in a real package of love and affection. I mean, this business of prepping up for the time of the end and getting away from those who need God's truth the most, I believe is a satanic delusion that has come upon the Christian church at the time of the end. The book of Revelation is absolutely clear that self-sufficient Christians will not survive the time of the end. If you are trusting yourself or if you're trusting some end time scheme you've cooked up to make it through the end, you won't make it. You just won't make it because the only one who has the power to hold you safe in the final crisis is Jesus Christ. I mean, I want to hear more about Jesus Christ, not about end time, awful circumstances that challenge our mobility and stability in these last days. There are way too many religious fanatics today directing men and women away from Jesus by stockpiling food, developing survival plans that are not rooted in God's plan for their life. The book of Revelation teaches that people who are weak, people who rely on Jesus Christ, people who trust him and not themselves, these are the ones who will make it through the end. Friend, God is looking for Christ-sufficient believers at the end of time, not self-sufficient unbelievers. And if you have no power inside of you, you ever feel like in the light of what we're facing in this world today, you ever have a hard time figuring out how you're going to make it? Nobody here. Well, that's good. Well, I do. You ever feel like you just don't have the stuff to get through what we're looking at ahead? Well, friend, you don't. But Christ has the stuff to get you through. And so if you have a little power, but you rely on Jesus Christ, you really do rely on him. You have what it takes to make it through the end. Why? Because you have Jesus and Christ is the secret to your future. The church of Philadelphia in the book of Revelation represents end time believers who are faithfully committed to Christ, who love the Lord, who are holding on to God's word just before Jesus returns. Take your Bibles, open them up, turn to Revelation 3 verse 8, and let's interact with the Bible. Christ is speaking to this local church in Asia Minor and to Christians who are faithful to him at the end of time. He says, I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. And I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word. You have not denied my name. Christ is describing the real condition of people who can't manufacture an outcome for themselves. 
they are weak Christians who rely on Jesus Christ to make it through the end. Christ cares about these kind of believers. In their weakness, they are strong. They live in the cities. They live in the communities of our country. They live everywhere. But they are invested in the lives of people and they care enough to stay right with God, to stay right for others and make a difference without getting fanatical. They're not preppers and they're not survivalists. They're Christ-centered believers committed to service. They're not Christians who trust in themselves. They're Christians who trust in Jesus to get them through the end. Verse 9 says, Behold... I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word of patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial which is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell upon the earth. I mean, the Bible is very clear. This test is coming on everyone. If you think you can escape the test, you're wrong. You can't escape this final test. You have to get through it. And to get through it, you have to have the right action plan that is focused on Jesus, not your plans. Living right at the time of the end requires patient endurance and faith in Jesus Christ. Christians who are following Jesus are engaged in their community. I'll repeat myself. Christians who are following Jesus are active in their community to make a difference for Jesus. They aren't looking for a way to get away from people. They're trying to show people the way. They're not stockpiling food and building bunkers for the time of the end. They're building lives for the future by investing in men and women who need Jesus. They're not survivalists on their own. And they're not preppers prepping for something on their own. They are prepared because they rely on Jesus Christ to get them through the crisis. Some believe that if they stockpile enough gold, they'll make it through the time of the end and the final crisis. You can just hide the gold before the dollar collapses, before the economy goes south. You'll make it. Now listen to James, the brother of Jesus. James 5 verse 1. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have rusted. Have you ever seen gold and silver rust? And I've seen silver tarnish. Have you ever seen gold rust? The Bible says at the time of the end, gold's going to rust. It's going to be worthless. And their rust will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure for the last days. I mean, so if you're an end-time scheme is to have enough money to make it through the time of the end. Your money will mean nothing at the time of the end because, friend, the only one you can rely on is Jesus Christ. You can't rely on your self-made action plans. According to the book of Revelation, the only people who will be able to spend their gold are those who have stockpiled their gold and silver. The only people who will be able to spend it are those who receive the mark of the beast. Look at Revelation 13, 16, and 17. It causes all both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand of the forehead so that no one can buy or sell. And what does the next word say? Unless. So some people or a lot of people will be able to buy and sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. So if you're stockpiling gold, you'll be able to spend it if you have the mark of the beast. So it won't do us any good. So our... Faith must rest in something other than a sense of prosperity. 
Stuffing money in your mattress and hiding gold and silver in a bunker won't work at the time of the end. We live in a time when if the government wants to get you, they'll have no trouble finding you. Am I right? I mean, this notion that you can go off in the woods and hide someplace and they can't find you with that modern technology, those drones can fly anywhere and find you. So where do you hide at the time of the end if survivalists and prepper schemes don't work? Where do you hide? What do you do when every human plan fails? What do you do when the foolishness of religious folk who would teach you otherwise is found to be utterly absurd when they come after you? What do you do then? Psalms 91 verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High who abides in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. I mean, if you're planning on a refuge that is not Jesus, your refuge will be worthless. The war on terror is nothing but the admission that we are living in the age of fear. Christ said that men's heart would faint them at the time of the end because of fear. He predicted that the kind of world we live in today in Luke 21, 25. He said there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars. and Upon the earth, distress of nations and perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves. And then verse 26, men fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. So immediately following the age of fear, the war on terror, according to Christ, is the second coming. We are living at the toenails of human history. We are living just before end-time events occur. We are, in fact, in end-time events. And the Greek word for perplexity here, aporia, literally means no way out. Christ predicted that the time would come when the great people of the world would not be able to fix the mess we're in. They would look at the economic mess and they'd just keep spending money because they would be paralyzed by fear. They would look at the political situation and realize you can't stabilize a world where a single terrorist with an atom bomb can take out an entire city and bring down Western civilization where the greatest minds would be baffled and overwhelmed by the problems that face the world and where people would sense that unless heaven intervenes, there is no way to save the world in which we live. So what do you do when you can't fix the problems that beset you and no one else can fix them either? In the book of Zephaniah, God's people at the time of the end find a shelter on Mount Zion, not in some bomb shelter, not in some tent pitched in the woods, not in some commune in the middle of nowhere living off onions, turnips, and weed or weeds. You know, some people are living off weed. You know what I mean? In fact, these drug dealers, they plant that stuff in the woods. You go out there, you run across the wrong stuff, they shoot you. You got to be careful which woods you run to today. God's people at the time of the end find a shelter on Mount Zion and the Lamb. That's the place to hide. 
Mount Zion represents the heavenly sanctuary where Jesus stands in the presence of God for his people. There's a hiding house up there. There's a place of refuge for people who live in the city, who live outside the city. For people who have struggles in life and they're glued to those struggles because they're connected to their communities. There's a place to hide in Christ. Zephaniah 1.18. In the book of Zephaniah, God's people have fled to Mount Zion at the time of the end. That's their plan. Zephaniah 1.18. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealous wrath, all the earth shall be consumed. For a full, yea, sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. Zephaniah 2.3. Seek the Lord, all you humble the land who do his commands, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the wrath of the Lord. I mean, what we need to get ready for the end is revival. We need to come to Christ to surrender our plans, to put our lives on the altar, to stop acting like we're smart and mighty and big and rely on the one who is. Zephaniah 3.12, For I will leave in the midst of you a people humble and lowly, Now, we talk about remnant in the book of Revelation. Well, the remnant is a humble and a lowly people. The ones that remain are those that have a relationship with God, who have been forged to the fires of persecution and who have surrendered to Christ. They're humble in the presence of living God. He goes on to say they will seek refuge in the name of the Lord. So what are you hiding in? What is your plan to get out of end time events? Are you seeking refuge in the name of the Lord? Verse 13, those who are left in Israel, it says they will seek refuge in the name of the Lord. They shall do no wrong and utter no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue, for they shall pasture and lie down and none shall make them afraid. So the war on terror, the age of fear will not affect them. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. In Revelation 3.8, Jesus affirms the experience of the church of Philadelphia because even though it is a weak church, it has not denied his name and his name matters. And because they hold on to his name in Revelation 3.10, Jesus promises that he will keep them from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to test those who dwell therein. What he's saying is, you hang on to my name, I keep you through the mark of the beast issue. You will not be overcome when that test occurs. In Zephaniah 3.12, God's people seek refuge in the name of the Lord. You know, we hear a lot of things in the pulpits today. We hear people talking about strange things. You know what I want to hear? I want to hear Jesus. I want Jesus. I want more of Jesus. I want his name written on my forehead. I don't want to hear about how bad things are. I want to know about the one who is the answer to get me through it all. And friend, I believe that's what we all need and want deep inside when we face the specter of our own personal failures. And because they hold on to his name, they get through. Zephaniah 3.12, God's people seek refuge in the name of the Lord. In the Bible, God's name and God's law are the same thing. You say, wait, pastor, here you are talking about Christ. Now you're moving toward the law. I'll repeat myself. In the Bible, God's name and God's law are the same thing. God's law is not some dead code that means nothing. It is the living word of God. And ultimately, it is Jesus Christ himself who is the word of God. 
Now my boys are mine because they have my name. Now my son has my name. And I have his name. And I now know that my son is able to take care of the old man. But you know, if anyone messes with my son, I'm going to take care of them. Because we share each other's name. There's a blood tie when you have the name. Friend, Christ came to this world. And as many as received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become the children of God who were born not of the flesh nor the will of man, but of God. If you have a relationship with Christ, if you are connected to Christ, you have the name of God. It is yours by right, and the full power of God is brought into your life to protect you and to hold you close to his side. At the time of the end, we need the name of God on our forehead. In John 17, 11, Jesus made it very clear that God's name has been given to the Son of God. And he keeps those who have the name because he shares the name with those who belong to him. John 17, 12, while I was with them, I kept them in thy name, which thou hast given me. I have guarded them, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So if you have God's name written on your forehead, if you have Christ in your life, if you treasure his law, that is a description of what is in the heart of Jesus Christ. Christ keeps you for the time of the end, friend. In Revelation 13, the name of the beast will be placed in the foreheads of those who do not seek refuge in the name of the Lord. God can't keep you if you don't keep his name close to your heart. People with a little power, I'll repeat myself, in this age of perfectionism, I frankly could care less about the theology of perfectionism. I want Christ, the perfect one in my life. He is the key to a transformed life, not trying hard and proving something to be accepted before God. People with a little power who hold on to God's name have a better refuge at the time of the end than any prepper, any perfectionist with an action plan, or any survivalist with a bomb shelter inside the woods. I'd rather stand on Mount Zion with Jesus than stand on shaky, self-sufficient turf with a man-made survival plan that is sure to fail as far as God's concerned. I'd rather be in his plan than making one for myself that leaves him out of my life. The name of the beast to be placed on the foreheads of those who do not seek refuge in the name of the Lord. So the name really matters at the time of the end. Revelation 13, 16, and 17, it, the lamb-like beast, causes all both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of his name. In the Bible, God's name and God's law are the same thing. Deuteronomy twenty-eight fifty-eight. a few verses to illustrate this. If you're not careful, God says, to do all the words of this law, which are written in this book, that you may fear the glorious and awful name, the Lord your God. You see how the law of God is intricately connected to his name. If you cherish his word, you revere his name. Psalms 119, verse 55. I remember thy name in the night, O Lord, and keep thy law. So when you have committed yourself to be obedient by faith to Jesus, to reverence his law, you are really honoring his name. 
Yeah, I know this from experience to be true. You ever had a son or daughter that was a little disobedient? My boys are camping, so I can use them for illustrations. We were building this cabin, and my sons are teenagers now, and teenagers challenge you. I remember the good old days when they were children, little children. Dad would say something, and it was the law of the Medes and Persians. Oh, Dad, really? It was like, you know, you were bigger than life. Now I'm not bigger than life. I'm someone to be challenged. Oh, Dad, are you sure that's how you drive the nail into the wood? Yeah. Why can't we fudge a little bit on the line here of this cabin? It won't matter. It will. And that's part of what they call personality differentiation, the development of the moral nature. A young person has to become autonomous, and so dads have to deal with that transition. It's hard on a father. Maybe it's hard on a mother, too. I know that it really does matter when my sons listen to me and they do what I say. But I have to reason with them. I can't be an autocrat or a dictator at this time of their life, right? Or you drive them away, so you've got to engage them. And you mess up when you're trying to raise teenagers. Everybody does. So let's be easy on the parents who are raising teenagers around here, especially the preacher. My sons, when it comes down to it, I know that they still honor me because they care about dad. They care about the name that they carry. And they don't want me to look bad. And that means a lot to me. We should have the same attitude toward God, shouldn't we? That at the end of the day, we should care enough that what we do matters for the name of God, for His sake. First Chronicles 13.6 and 2 Samuel 6.2 say the same thing. I'm going to quote First Chronicles 13.6. And David and all Israel went to Bala, that is to carryeth Jerem, which belongs to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by what? What does the text say? It's called by the name of the Lord who sits enthroned above the cherubim. Well, that's going to wrap up the first portion of Living Right at the Time of the End, today's Reaching Your Heart. You can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Just look for the broadcast schedule there on the main page. You'll find this message there. And you can download a copy to your personal library or listen right there online in on-demand audio format. Don't forget our phone number. It's 877-788-5371, Hope to hear from you today. For Pastor Mike and everyone here, please also know that we pray that God is reaching your